Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, I don't need a gun to teach this lesson. Hi guys, I'm Lucy. And I'm Emma. And we're back with another full episode for you of Crime from the UK. So simmer down and get ready. Um, I'm doing one that I can't believe we haven't done before really. It's quite a big... It's not a famous one, but it's quite a big lifer. Another, oh, okay. Another lifer. So he's called Arthur Hutchinson. Not heard uh, of him. No. And he, I think if you were alive during his crimes, I think my mum would know him. I think people would know, but I think because we're so young, then we might not know. So he was born in 1941 in Hartlepool. I don't think I've ever been. No, me neither. I don't know what it's got to offer. Seaside? I would hope so. (laughs) And um, he was his mother's favourite of six children. She had four with her husband uh, called Cuthbert and two with a lodger. Nice. (laughs) And Arthur was one of them. The lodger was called Arthur Hutchinson. So, so there was no, there was no way that he thought he was his dad's child. So I'm going to name you after my lover. I guess unless she just told the, uh, the husband. Oh, I just like the name. That's one way to keep track of whose kids whose. Yeah. <laughs> just name them after their dad. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Um. So his brother Dino. I mean, there's some child abuse going on here. With a name like that. Or Dino. Dino, Dino. He described uh, Arthur as backward and said others teased him, which is 80s speak for relentlessly bullied him. And backwards is 80s speak for severe learning difficulties, <laughs> yeah. I imagine. Um, so as a young boy, he uh, rode his bike into a lamppost. Backwards. <laughs> Forwards. That will happen. <laughs> Head first into a lamppost and was in a coma for three days. And Ooh. I think his mother sort of blamed anything he did wrong on that, which... Could be true. Fred West would wasn't he run over by an ice cream van or something? She obviously felt that it seriously affected him. Then he, she thought he had brain injury. Yeah, he had a fractured skull and seemed to be more interested in violence after this. And he actually stab, stabbed his sister when he was seven years old, not to death. I mean, he's more of a scissor sister than the actual scissor sisters because he used scissors on he his sister. He actually scissored his sister. <laughs> yeah. So, aged eleven, he was in court for indecent assault. I mean, I don't know. Decent assault. I don't know what decent assault is. Does it mean like you slapped them with your penis? But they were up for it. (laughs) If it's decent. Oh, if it's decent. (laughs) All right. Um, 
So during his teenage years, he had 19 more charges against him, including four for sex with girls under 18, under 16, sorry. So he was a bad, a bad person from the off. Bit of a fighter, bit of a pedo, yeah. pedals backwards. Just grim. Yeah. Um, aged 18, he got married to his neighbour who was already pregnant, so a real shotgun wedding um, with his baby. That only lasted for three years and they separated and not long after that he went to prison for rape. So My goodness. Yeah. Um, He's insatiable. Yeah. Well, I, they, they did talk about in the book that I used, which was called Lifers Inside the Minds of Britain's Most Notorious Criminals. So a lot of this comes from that book. So thank you very much to Jeffrey Wansell. <laughs> 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 self by surprise. Sorry, I've Jennifer. never said that name out loud before. <laughs> never. Do you know when you see it written down and you think it's fine? Sorry, Jeffrey. Um, he talked a lot about how he had this insatiable sexual desire. Um, and so they think that's a, another after effect of this brain injury, possibly. Then, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? If he was quite young, he wouldn't have had a sexual desire before that anyway. But I guess. There's a, there's a real link between brain injury and weird behaviour, which is something that we teach in psychology as well, with Phineas Gage being the example. But there's definitely, it, it's affected, it affects your personality mm. quite often. Um, so after he was released, he married again, someone called Hannah Law. Um, and he, she spoke out quite a lot about his violent temper, his violence towards her her um how he beat her frequently she said that she saw him beat his mother um and throw her across the room and she was supposed to be his favorite person in the world isn't the getting Um, married thing so annoying i find it so incredibly frustrating but i feel like back then you'd just have a couple of conversations and then it was like right well we'll get married then or if you had had a shag then you basically got to marry them I just feel so exhausted from hearing how many people got married. Did mm. you plan the wedding? But they just nipped down the church, didn't they, back then? And I know. But you don't think, like, all the gay people that listen must just be like, their eye rolls must be so hard. How many more rapists get to be married before <laughs> yeah. we can? I mean, obviously, I know now people can, but... Fair point. So during the 70s, he went to prison again um, for owning firearms for theft and for rape. Um, and after numerous times going to prison, he was uh, early 80s due to go to court. So 1983. Um, and when he went to court, he asked to, to use the toilet and they ha- he was in handcuffs. And they'd take off the handcuffs so that he could go and aim, I guess, yeah. in the toilet or wipe his arse. And once they took off the handcuffs, he instead of going to the toilet, he ran upstairs to a courtroom that wasn't being used and he jumped into a window head first, <gasps> breaking the glass and falling onto a barbed wire fence. And I mean, it must have been single glazed. I mean, if I tried to jump through these windows, it's not happening. Um, but he landed on this barbed wire fence, cut his leg open. I but- say he would have been an absolute ribbon. Yeah. Shards of glass. Plus barbed wire. Yeah. I bet he looked like he'd been put through a shredder. Well, he yeah, he looked fucked up. But he got free and he ran off. Oh, And God. they couldn't get him because it was... I mean, it was... A, they said it in the He was the just flapping in the wind <laughs> as he went. <laughs> he said it was a busy street, but, I mean, this blood-covered, gangly man running through. Like one of those big inflatable men you see dancing around on top of, like, car showrooms. Yeah. Just dripping with blood and skin. Pretty much. 
Um, so a month later, he's been on the run. Jesus. So it says October 22nd, 1983. And he ends up in a village called Dor, where solicitor Basil Leitner and his doctor wife, so they're doing all right, Avril Leitner, they're celebrating their daughter's wedding at the family home. I mean, they probably had a beautiful, massive house because they did the wedding in a marquee in the garden. Oh, my God. Um, which is the dream. Everything's coming up blink now. <laughs> Imagine how much you'd save on a wedding, just doing it at your parents' house. be amazing. The bride and groom had left, so they left before the guests, as was tradition. The people tend to stay now, don't they, till the end? To the bitter end. To the bitter end. Or at my wedding, the guest started going, are you coming to the pub? <laughs> Not in this. No. Funnily enough. I think that was me. <laughs> Come to town. Come to <laughs> yeah. Town. And I, I did. I was tempted for a moment. but Nothing good happens when you go to town after a wedding. <laughs> in your dress. Only the bride's parents, brother and sister, were left at the house. So there was, as I said, Basil and Avril, and then Richard, the older son, and Nicola, the teenage daughter. So... Arthur Hutchinson crept into the house. He looked like shit. He was unshaven, uh, dirty. His leg was still bleeding because he hadn't yeah. had it seen to. And he got through the patio doors. He walked... Just head first. <laughs> yeah. Just headbutting his way through doors. Um, and he walked around the house, walked into a bedroom where he'd seen the bridesmaid dress was hung on the back of the door. Look, like, that's oh, my colour. Yeah, and he'd seen that and he thought, well, there must be a girl in there. So he went into the bedroom. Oh, time for a bit of raping. Yeah, but Richard was in there in bed. So saw Richard and went, well, I'm not gay. So I'm going to murder this guy so I can just see who this dress belongs to. So that was his thought process, that I've got to have a rape. This guy's in my way. I'm going to have to murder him Not just back out of the room. I mean, backwards is one of your skills. (laughs) Just keep moving. So... What he did was he stabbed him in the chest and killed him almost immediately. And then he carried on looking around the house. Now, Nicola, the teenage daughter, was next door. And she heard someone coming into her room. And she'd she'd heard her brother scream as well. So she lay absolutely petrified in bed. Couldn't move. Which is what I think I'd do. I don't know if I'd be able to move or scream or do anything. I think no. I would just shut down. And he came into the room and then he left again because he heard someone coming. So he went back out onto the landing and Basil, the father, was there approaching and they started arguing and shouting at each other and then he stabbed Basil in the throat and then as he fell, he stabbed him in the back. So, did Richard die? Richard's dead. And now Basil? Now Basil's dead. Nicola's in the room. So, Hutchinson then went downstairs and confronted Avril, the mother, and she said to him, this is from Nicola's account afterwards, she said, just take the money and go. I don't care what you want, just take it, get out of the house. And he stabbed her 26 times. Lots were, like, on her hands where she'd been trying to hold her hands up to stop him. I mean, really, really horrific crimes, which is why, if you were alive at this time when it was reported, you'd definitely know this. Because it's severe. Especially when, like you said from Nicola's account, she was saying to him, you can have whatever you want. Like, she wasn't trying to fight him. She wasn't trying to call the police. That There was no reason for him to have just gone at her like that, other than it seems like some sort of pleasure out of just stabbing. Yeah. I mean, he stabbed his sister. He's obviously into it. Um, So 
now, so she died. So Nicola's alone in the house with her parent and brother's murderer just waiting in her room, absolutely petrified. Um, and so he went back up to Nicola's room and he told her if she put on a light or screamed, he'd kill her, obviously aware of the neighbours. Um, I'm assuming it was a detached house, but, you know, if you scream pretty loud, you might have heard people. So he led her by knife point to look at her father's body, obviously to scare her more. He then raped her in the marquee and then twice in the bedroom. And the, honestly, it was hours that he was in this house. He put on a Scottish accent the whole time and told her that he'd killed her family. So what this poor girl went through, absolutely horrific. And eventually he tied her up in the bedroom and left. So it's all so barbaric. Yeah, that's a really nasty one. And it's just difficult to understand the logic of these people will die because they'll stop me raping her, but she can live. I don't know. It's just so arbitrary. Why did he keep her... Why did he leave her alive when she's seen his face quite clearly? I mean, she thinks he's Scottish, but she'd seen what he looks like. So, she was discovered when the Marquis Company came to take down the Marquis the next day and they found the bodies and they found Nicola and obviously called the police. And she gave a really accurate description. She sat with a sketch artist as well and reproduced his face. And it wasn't long before they went, right, well, that's the guy you ran away from court, which means it's Arthur Hutchinson. Oh, good. So they're on Sketch it. artists are amazing. They're so good. I don't even know. I don't mind would just be like a blob. A smush. I'd be really interested to see if a sketch artist could sit with me and draw a picture of you. From your description. But yeah, because I don't know exactly how I'd... I don't think I'd be able to even describe. I think you'd be and really good. And I look at your good. face a lot. I think you'd be really good because you're really good with faces. I think, for me, everyone would end up looking like a potato with eyes. <laughs> oh, crap, <laughs> I was just thinking about dinner again. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, I mean, also, how horrific for that marquee company worker coming in, expecting just to take down a wedding marquee and seeing a massacred family and a crying child. Um, so, the police launched a massive hunt for Hutchinson. Um, they had some really clear evidence that was him, other than just the, f- the picture looking like him. They found a handprint on a champagne bottle when he'd picked it up and had a drink. And... He'd also bitten into some cheese. So they had tooth impressions from the cheese. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd definitely be doing that. I love how it's just like going around just buying stuff. It's disgusting. So he stayed in bed and breakfast while he was on the run. And he called himself A Fox, thinking that he was being really funny. Sly ass. And he really was, he was trying to make this work. So he wrote a letter to the the press uh, goading the police and saying, oh, they can't catch me. That never works. And he started it with, I, the fox. I mean, when you try and give yourself a nickname, it doesn't happen, does it? (laughs) Everyone's calling me Luna now. No, they're not. You end up with the name Lubricant instead. Some people still call me Lube. When when I was in Amsterdam, I was like, is this for me? (laughs) (laughs) It has my name on all the things. (laughs) Um, So... He then began phoning the press 
and boasting about how no one could catch him and how he was a master of disguise and saying, yeah, they walked right past me and they didn't even know it was me because I'm so brilliant at evading capture. But he wasn't that good because he phoned his mum and obviously they were tracing, he obviously hadn't watched Hunted, they were tracing any calls that went to his mother and they traced it back to a phone box. So they sent the team to the area that the phone box was in and then someone spotted him nearby and then eventually it was a police dog that actually um, caught him and pinned him down. Ooh, like Fox and the Hound. <laughs> I bet he loved that. Yes. At well, least I've been thwarted by a fitting opponent. <laughs> well, I think he was annoyed because he obviously had to wait for a policeman to come over before he said his line that he'd rehearsed. I'm not a murderer. I should have stayed down my foxhole, shouldn't I? He, oh, no. He, he had <laughs> practised a little fox line. Yeah. I bet you... I can imagine It's that. not even a good one. I can imagine that they were just saying, you're under arrest. He's trying to get his word yeah, in. Well, hold up. <laughs> Anything not... you do say may be taken. Well, not this bit. <laughs> So he pled um, not guilty to all the crimes and came up with some really weird, elaborate stories. So first of all, he said that he had met Nicola before and that she'd said, come round to my house and have sex with me and I'll leave the patio door open and um, that he had gone round consensually, they'd shagged and then he'd left and someone else had come in to do the murders. And then... That didn't hold weight in court. So afterwards, he said that um, uh, someone from the press had done the murders to frame him and that he was just there and so was the guy from the press and he'd not done any of it. It was really stupid, weird stuff. But obviously, the the handprint, there were bite marks, there was his blood from where he'd been bleeding and he had quite a rare blood group, were all solid evidence against him. So... He was found guilty and the Home Secretary stated that he should have life imprisonment with no prospect of release. And he's appealed that, saying that it's not part of his human rights and that it's unfair to do that to someone. But every appeal so far has been unsuccessful because his crimes were so horrific. Which I don't know how I feel about that. But I feel like if he'd had three life sentences anyway, that would have been 75 years. Yeah. So. And he did this while on the run anyway so he's showing no signs of any trying to be good he should have been in prison at the time yeah so he's in his 70s now and he's probably gonna die in prison but he's i can't believe we hadn't heard of him because that's a big crime um but i guess it's more of a massacre isn't it rather than a than a serial killer yeah but that's the horrible arthur hutchinson the fox Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. Most of the research comes from a book called Strange Inhuman Deaths, Murder in Tudor, England by John Bellamy. Side note to this story, Lucy rejected this book (laughs) and gave it to me, I think, in the hopes that I'd never ever read it. (laughs) I had no pictures on the cover. But I have done. So I don't know how up to speed everyone is with the Tudors, but in true primary school fashion, I'll just give you a brief outline of some of the historical context that we're talking about. If it was primary school fashion, you'd play a video. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would look up Tudor song YouTube. Um, <laughs> this took place in the 1550s, this crime. And prior to this, England had been won for the Tudor dynasty when Henry Tudor won the War of the Roses, it was the Yorkshire and Lancashire, and he united Um, the two houses with our Rose of England now. So then when his son, Henry VIII, came to the throne, he then created Protestantism. Until then, the land had been purely Catholic, but he wanted to divorce, made his own religion, and this led to this huge catalyst for lots of things, which was the dissolution and the destruction of the monasteries. Basically, he got sick of his wife, so he changed the whole church. Right? Yeah. So then Bellamy, in his book, he suggests that around this time, when this was happening, public attitudes toward murder itself were changing. So murder rates had been particularly low at this time. It says that it was being reported, but that it only accounted for, in the 16th century, around 1 in 20 major crimes were actual murders. And this might be because a lot of things weren't classed as murder. So as we'll find later, um, if you murder your husband, that counts as petty treason. No Like way. a crime against the crown, because like the institution of marriage is... Huh. Also, if you kill your employer, that also counts as petty treason, not just murder. Um, so there weren't that many cases of just out-and-out red-blooded crimes of passion. Also, it it wasn't really... I mean, the printing press was invented sort of during the Tudor period. So there weren't really... People weren't eating up these stories. It wasn't, like, big news for them. There were a lot of wars, a lot... I mean, again, when it became Protestant, Catholics were then being persecuted. There was bloodshed, there were wars a lot. I don't think people were excited by it quite the same way. But 
like I said, Bellamy says there was this turning point around this time, and partly because of this like push and pull between the Catholics and the Protestants, murders that involved a religious twist sort of became a little bit more interesting to people. So one such one was this story of the murder of Thomas Arden. He wasn't a religious man himself, but he was heavily involved in the selling and the buying of property that was owned by the monasteries. And so he was liked by the rich and the people in court and the king and pretty much hated by everybody else. So his place of birth and the exact circumstances family, whether they were rich or poor, is under dispute. But by the 1530s, at least... He was living in Faversham in Kent. Ooh, I've been there. Have you? We had to do, at university, we had to do a project on something. Like, we looked at some plays or some local things, and one of them was a some, the something of Faversham, and we did a comic strip of it and took loads of photos of us acting out the story. Was it a murder? Uh, I think there was a murder in it. There was a wife um, who fancied someone who wasn't her husband. I'm only saying that because there are thoughts that Shakespeare then collaborated with someone else and wrote a little play based on this murder. No way. It was so long ago. I really can't remember. I I had to work with this annoying girl as well. So I just wanted to punch her most of the time. I remember... Let's do the punching scene again. (laughs) And I had really over-bleached blonde hair. Because I remember seeing all the photos and being like, oh my God, is that what I look like? (laughs) Yellowy, blonde. And that's not good. Not one you'll be going back to anytime soon. Nope. So he was working, selling and buying the land that would have been used by monasteries and just selling it off for profit. He was working for a guy called Edward North and he had a stepdaughter called Alice and Thomas Arden would make her his wife. And it was very convenient for him to be so linked to his very powerful employer. Um, North, he was made treasurer of the Court of Augmentation which basically meant that King Henry VIII had put him in charge of handling all of the money involved with the dissolution of the monastery, so all the selling of their um, properties and their gold, everything. He was in charge of the whole thing, so he was the man to know at this point. So Arden was just running around as this slimy Tudor estate agent, basically, and now he had his trophy wife, but marrying her for business prospects probably didn't ensure that there was a lot of love lost between them. So Arden also had another important patron. He was called Sir Thomas Cheney, and he was another one of the most powerful men during the Tudor reign. He was on the Privy Council a lot, so he had the ear of the king as well. And so basically these two really huge connections meant that Arden, despite possibly not coming from great circumstances, he was incredibly powerful and influential. So, like I said, he wasn't particularly well-liked by people, even though he was super powerful. In 50... But dogs loved him. (laughs) Yeah. He had a voice that could charm the birds from the trees, not the people. So 1546, he'd been given freedom of the town, which I think maybe like when they present them with like the key. 
Oh, yeah. Like the key you, to the city. Yeah, you can go in all our houses and... Is that what it means? Because that's weird. Is it? Like, you can just go anywhere you want and you're going to be fine. But there's no one's got the same locks anyway, so it's bullshit. I think it's just a token... Yeah, I think now it's a token. Then he, they were called. They were put on a list of what I've called free men. Like he was given freedom of the town. He was put on a list of those twenty-four or so free men. Someone's at this having point. a shit. He's like, don't mind me. I don't know. I don't know if it means you're above the law. Even I'm not quite sure. Or is it was the feudal... all the that you want? It's <laughs> weird. Have anything, but uh, he was also given um, the role of being a jurat, which I think is pretty much being like a judge um, at the time. But he managed to piss everyone off and lost both of these positions because um, what he did was... So the Valentine's Fair was a huge deal in Faversham. Like, every year they loved it. And it, <laughs> it brought a lot of money to the town. But Arden was, like, dealing with the account and he secured it so that the fair would be held on his land every year and not on the town's main square anymore so the whole town was losing out on this massive fair coming and he was profiting from it personally so they were massively pissed off and said right that's it like you're not our treasured boy anymore so um however despite the fact that he pretty much had enemies everywhere it would be his wife alice that would be one of the key players in plotting arden's death I swear this was the play that we did. I'm pretty sure it is, you know. Yeah. I skipped all the bits about, oh, it turned into a play. I was like, that's not going to be relevant to anyone. <laughs> Apart from me. Apart from me, Edward North, Alice's massively powerful stepfather, is probably quite likely to have arranged their marriage between them. But he also made sure that Alice would benefit from his death too. He was a smart guy. And when they got married, he made sure that she would have a yearly allowance of £40 for every year after he had died. And he also made sure that Alice was the sole executor of his will. One source claimed that when they settled in Faversham, that she was 28 years old and Thomas Arden was 56. So I don't think he was her first pick. No. I definitely think she was pushed into that. And he was like, you know what, he'll die soon and I'll make sure you get money when he dies. <laughs> Yeah. But it's also said that the pair were an attractive couple. Well, maybe he was a silver fox. In the most Tudor of languages. You know where they always say someone was comely? Comely. Covered in cum. I think that's like the best... That's one of the best adjectives they had. Like, oh, I could come on air. <laughs> that's basically what it was, I think. Don't quote me. So, like I said, their marriage was doomed from the outset because Alice was still in love with her ex. Oh, Thomas Mosby. Everyone's called Thomas everywhere, so <laughs> I'll probably just use their surnames. So Mosby was a tailor, and they sort of entered into an extremely modern arrangement. It was widely known that Mosby would often lodge at Arden's house. He pretty much moved in. What? And Alice would feed him delicate meats. Oh, <laughs> that's funny, Flaps. <laughs> and buy him sumptuous apparel to wear that's funny flaps yeah so she was you know walking around with thomas mosby like draping a fanny flap so all over him <laughs> and everyone knew about it pretty much so he was a he was okay with it it's arden it seems that he was weirdly okay with it yeah maybe he got to watch 
Oh, possibly. Well, yeah. Well, there's also some dispute over the children. They keep referring to the daughter as being Alice's daughter, even though she was born during the marriage. So some people suggest that it's not actually her child. It could be that Arden couldn't have children and it was like a good arrangement for him. Maybe. Or maybe it was just really obvious. Like one of them's got red hair and the kid's got red hair. Like a Prince Harry kind of conundrum. Is that a thing? Yeah, because she... Diana shagged a ginger guy, didn't she? On the Ginger's slide. recessive! It could be in anyone! I know, but Harry's not Charles's. What? He's got the same little horsey face! That's Diana's. <laughs> oh... Oh, no, she was more don't I had it I've just been talking to Lucy about how oh I don't have any issues with the guy I'm dating but he does think that Diana was killed by the royal family oh and I'm not on board with it no <laughs> at all I don't know if he's trying to wind me up <laughs> I'm like it doesn't make sense definitely not so anyway yeah he was totally on board with this um and in Alice's defence, her and Mosby had been dating before Arden came along. So I think she was in love with him. They'd been together. And then she I get the impression she was then forced into marrying this 56-year-old guy. Mm. So I think on her part, fair enough. I Have mean, a thruple. <laughs> yeah. Best of both. Exactly. She, they, it's thought that she did sort of split up with Mosby before Arden came along. So possibly she married him thinking it was all over. But she got his affections back by giving him a gift. She gave Mosby some silver dice and that's what sex dice. sealed the deal. I don't think so. I've never used sex dice. Just like, here's some silver cubes. Hmm. I think it was quite an interesting idea. Like, what do you get a man? Like, I don't know. Hmm. You can't even buy him a pair of trousers because they're all wearing hose at this point. <laughs> a new pair of tights. Silver tights. Silver tights. When you say hose, I just imagine a little hose on the knob. <laughs> it's fashion. Just my little sparring. <laughs> so, Alison Mosby just continued their passionate affair under Arden's nose for a couple of years. But eventually, it wasn't enough, and Alice just wanted to be married to Mosby. She wanted out of Arden's relationship. So, in December of 1550 was when Alice made sure that she was taken care of in her husband's will. And then right at the beginning, so a few weeks after, start of 1551 in January, she began to plot a way to get rid of her husband. Obviously, although divorce had happened now, like it was only a few years since Henry VIII had to literally destroy a religion in order to get <laughs> yeah. divorced so wasn't it mostly that the men could file for divorce as well and women couldn't yeah and we did about this and i'm teaching some sociology now god help me but we did about how the divorce laws have changed and you had to prove that your husband was cruel to you to be granted a divorce in the early days of divorce so yeah so basically murder was definitely the simplest option yeah like she divorce wasn't really a thing for her So, as simple as this may have seemed, um, murdering Thomas Arden took several attempts to do. So, her first attempt, she contacted a local painter called William Blackbourne. And it said that he knew a lot about poisons. 
I don't know how that sort of rumour goes about. Unless it was that, you know, mixing the powder, maybe some colours. Like lead paint? Yeah, and say maybe some colours you needed were also poisons. Yeah. But he did know a lot about poisons, and she said, I need something that will quickly, quote, dispatch the eater thereof, end quote. <laughs> um, and he obliged, but he said, if you're going to do it, you need to put the poison in the food first, put that in the bowl, then put all your food on top, like his porridge or his gruel or whatever. Put that on top and then give it to him. But she wasn't so good with the listening. So she put his food in the bowl and then the poison on top of it. And this meant that Arden was like, this tastes a bit weird, the colour looks a bit off, and he refused to eat any more of it. So she covered it up and was like, oh, fine, like, I can't please you. And then apparently it says that he was violently purging out of upwards and downwards. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. You can't trust a fart for a while after that. I think he violently purged when he was riding the horse as well. Oh, no. Which, can you imagine <laughs> oh, having God. the runs and bouncing up and down on a horse? That would be the worst. Not good. But he managed oh. to stay alive. Oh. I don't know. Seabiscuit is not having a good time. <laughs> That's the deleted scene of the film. So Alice then got in contact with a guy called John Green. And he had a grudge against Arden because he'd refused to sell him some land that had previously been owned by Faversham Abbey. So he was pretty pissed off with him. So Alice said that she would give him £10 if he would go and find someone else who would kill her husband for her. And Green agreed. So he went off to try and find, you know, an evil knave who would come and dispatch Arden. And he met his friend... Um, a goldsmith called Bradshaw and he said well I know a guy who I met at the siege of Boulogne who is a proper rotter um, he's known only as Black Will I don't think it's due to ethnicity I think it's that he was a blackamoor needed a wash he needed a wash he is a black heart mm. he was a pretty I think he loved the war a bit too much mm. that sort of guy so um, Bradshaw just put him in touch with him and Green met with Blackwell and they also agreed that he could have £10 if he murdered Arden which I think oh, that's a bit tight like you're getting a tenner just for finding an assassin and then Blackwell's yeah. getting a tenner for actually doing the murder he's getting played here always get rid of the middleman exactly this could have cost you £10 only yeah because that's half her year's money gone. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Will said, of course, look, you're going to need to go and point out Arden to me before I go murdering people. So they arranged that they would meet in St. Paul's Churchyard um, in London the next day where Arden was going to be. So Green then said to Bradshaw, his fella that put him in touch you go now to Alice and tell her that I've got black will everything's going ahead and this seems like a little thing for Bradshaw to do but he would end up getting in a lot of trouble for it later so Green pointed out Arden to black will in the churchyard and um, where he was walking with his servant called Michael uh-oh this is so Shakespearean though isn't it it is very it's the one on the left, and then he's dyslexic, and then it's the one on the right. Well, Black Will 
because he loves murdering that much, he was like, oh, brilliant. I'm going to get to kill both of these people. It's going to be <laughs> amazing. Um, but Green was like, no, hold up. Michael's in on this plot with us. Oh, okay. So he said, leave him alone. He's good. He's safe. Michael was sort of in on it. He was leading Arden there. and he He's was... like there with a big arrow. Yeah. Like, this one. One of those big foam fingers. <laughs> <laughs> like that Sims little dime. <laughs> um, but he was in on it. His part in the bargain was that if he kept quiet, then Mosby was going to let him marry one of his cousins or something. Okay. So. I love you could just decide. <laughs> yeah. Your poor cousin. You might well, have, have this one. So um, Arden, though, was so well known because he was this influential guy that for the entire day, he was always being accompanied by one acquaintance or another. Like people were just constantly wanting to hang out with him. So Blackwell had no opportunity to get in there and dispatch him. So now we're on to attempt three. The plan was that night that Arden would go to bed in the lodgings that he had in London for that evening and Michael was going to leave all the doors unlocked so that Black Will could get in and kill him. But Green had mouthed off to Michael and said, oh God, Black Will's a a bit of a one. He was going to kill you as well as Arden. So Michael shat himself and said, I'm not letting him in if he's going to kill me too. So he kept all the doors locked so that he couldn't get in. Understandably, Black Will was pretty pissed off at this and said that he really was going to go and kill Michael but they managed to calm him down because he said, well, it wasn't me. I left the doors unlocked, but he said that Arden had woken up in the night and locked the doors himself. So attempt number four. They decided that they would, on their way back to Faversham that next morning, they'll just ambush him on the road home. But Mr Popularity bumped into some acquaintances and they all decided to travel back together in a group. So he couldn't do it again. He's not getting paid enough to kill a whole gang. He's got to get him on his own. So, Alice didn't want the murder to take place at home where she could be implicated. So, for attempt number five, they had to come up with a plan to get Arden to go away again. Yeah. So, Michael had come back from the Isle of Sheppey where he was bringing a letter from his patron, Sir Thomas Cheney, that I'd mentioned before. And when he got back, Alice took the letter from him and said, tell, saying that you've lost it, basically. So they said they'd lost the letter on the journey back and Arden's going to have to go to the Isle of Sheppey himself to find out what it said, which he seemed to actually go along with. So Arden was like, fine, I'll go and visit Sir Thomas Cheney, find out what was in the letter. And the plan was that they would try and ambush him while he was on the route. So Blackwell didn't want anything to go wrong again. So he went and got an accomplice, a guy called George Shakebag. <laughs> now that is the kind Shake of name bag. that you give yourself. Yeah. What has he been up to? <laughs> Salting his crisps. Do you remember those ones that you get the salt separately and you have to shake it up yourself? My dad still gets those. They still do them. Yeah. I like them without the salt. Oh. I don't want to have to put work into my own food. Well, you could hire a shake bag to come and do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So the pair of them still didn't seem to have enough brain cells between them as they missed him on the journey there and they missed him on the way back <laughs> as well. Taking a was. I mean, to be fair, they'd, 
they just have to assume that he's going to take a certain road at a certain time. True. There's no other way of knowing. Yeah, there's no um, follow your friends up. Yeah. So then, attempt number six, they decided, okay, Blackwell and Shakebag are not really the kind of guys we want in on this. <laughs> so they agreed that Mosby would challenge Arden to a duel. Quite easily done, considering he's fucking his wife. Yeah. Uh, but Arden refused. Oh. And he's so like, he's I'm like, fine with it. He's like, yeah, you can have her. So that was quickly power. So now we're on attempt number seven. <laughs> so this time they decided to get all the conspirators together in a meeting and that between them, hopefully they could pull this off successfully. So Alice was there, her lover Mosby. Green, the guy with a grudge. Shakebag and Black Will were back in on the plan. <laughs> Every fucker's there. One of Alice's maids um, was now in. Michael, of course. And Mosby's sister at some point rocked up just for to be in on the drums, I think. <laughs> so the plan that they all managed to get come up with wasn't really that ingenious. Basically, they said, we'll send out all the non-conspirator servants. We'll send them on errands and various other things. Give them the day off. We'll hide Black Will in a cupboard. And then when Arden came home at seven o'clock, Mosby took him into the parlour and said, let's play cards while we wait for dinner to be ready. So they were going to do it at the house in the end. Yeah. So during the game, Mosby had a cue, which he was going to say, now may I take you, sir, if I will which apparently made no sense because he wasn't winning or anything. And Harden was like, what are you on about? <laughs> I bet he like cleared his throat and got already like, yeah. some sort of like rehearsed line. What are you talking about? There's no one here. Who are you talking to? Like in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend when Paula's singing Face Your Fears. Yeah. And Rebecca's like, there's no one here. So that was the cue for Black Will to sort of jump out of the cupboard and kill him, which he did. And he got a sort of towel cloth thing and he strangled him with it. Now they all assumed that Arden was dead. So they started to carry his body out of the parlor. But when they began to carry him, Arden started groaning and moving his arms around. So then Black Will had to slash at his throat and face in order to kill him. But of course this made a lot of mess that they weren't anticipating. Yeah. Black Will was then right, I've, I've had enough of this. So he took his £10 and he fucked off and left Alice and Mosby et al. to dispose of the body. So they decided that they would first put it in Arden's counting house. And then Alice wanted to make sure he was definitely dead this time. So she took a knife and herself stabbed him in the chest quite a few times. Then they set up this sort of big pretense to kind of throw suspicion away from it having anything to do with them alice invited over some local grocers to the house for supper that night and the whole time they were there being like well thomas should be home soon and i can't think where he is we'll have to eat without him and just basically playing up on the fact that she didn't know where he was then after the grocers left saying well this is ridiculous now it's too late they sent out the servants to go and look for him presumably and when the servants were all out looking for him, Alice and Mosby got the body and carried it out the back garden and into a nearby field. It started snowing while this happened, and I don't think they really fancied it, so they only carried him a few paces into the field before they just dumped him lying face up and went back inside. 
They'd bizarrely dressed him in his night clothes as well. I don't know whether they did that to sort of confuse the time of death, like, oh, he came home and then went out. I don't know how it would benefit them. Yeah, that's weird. But they had dressed him. So Alice then began putting on a great show of distress for her missing husband. And by the early morning, they sent out another search party of servants and some of the neighbours, including the grocers that had come around for dinner. They all went out looking for him. Of course, it didn't take them long to find him because he was only in the back garden. (laughs) And his body was found by one of the grocers. They then noticed that inside his slipper, there was a long rush. So like bulrushes. Because at the time, they would have, the floors would have been sort of like dirt floors and then covered with rushes and straw. Because mm. you'd, you'd piss on the floor quite a lot. Oh, why? Easy. So, and then Drains basically, away in the... it was basically like a stable sort of setting. You'd, mm. you'd have a dirt floor, like cover it with straw and rushes. And then like every so often you could just sweep up all the rushes and get rid of them and then lay down new ones. Okay. There's actually a pub in town. Um, where they in do what that town, Emma? in the town where we live? <laughs> no, where they do that because I went in. I was like, "Oh, line dancing, um, country music. What's happening here?" And they're like, "No, we just put it on the floor to make it authentic." I was like, "That." I was like, "Do you clean it up?" Yeah, it's just ridiculous. They That's weird. Sweep it up and then just like throw straw around. <laughs> that is odd. Do you want to go in there with your high heels? What, do they do it on, like, a normal floor? Yeah, normal tiled floor. It's just a bit hipster, but they just throw a bit of straw around. No. Um, It's like when they serve food on a bit of slate. It just looks like a mess. Give me a fucking plate, mate. So, anyway, so there's one of these long bits of straw inside his slipper. So, they thought, obviously, he's not put his own slippers on, because you would notice if you had one of these huge things inside your shoe. (laughs) So somebody else has hurriedly shoved these on his feet. Yeah, and if you killed him out in the field, you wouldn't. Exactly. That's been done in the house, and he's been moved. Also, the snow had stopped falling quite abruptly after this point, so there was no more snowfall to cover the ground, which meant that there was a perfect set of footprints leading from the body <laughs> right back to the house. Oh, come on. Surely you'd notice that. Apparently not. Never fucking settles over here, though, does it? I'm surprised. <laughs> um, so, Ali- I mean, it was February, so oh. early February. Alice was questioned, and initially she denied it, but then they found in the garden again um, the towel that they'd used to clean up some of the blood and the knife that she'd used to stab him in the chest with. Oh, my God, these people are rubbish at murder. I'm going to say, there's no DNA evidence. Like, there's no CCTV. It should be really fucking easy yeah. to get away with a the murder. They're all dumb as fuck. <laughs> yeah. This is Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> the special version. <laughs> so... Faced with all of this evidence, every single one of the conspirators confessed to the crime straight away. (laughs) They're rubbish! Well, I thought that as well. But then, also in the Tudor times, like, they would have tortured people. That's true. Like, anyone that got sent to prison for anything, you'd... They had the most horrendous tortures. They would have been chopping bits off, stretching things, burning things. So I think they just thought, quick, say it's us, so they won't torture us. So... The conspirators were, that were present were all sent to jail and there were only a few who were left free. So Green, with the grudge, 
he was away. Black Will had managed to go. Shakebag didn't really hang out that night. He was gone. And Blackborn, the painter who had originally given her the poison, were the only four that weren't arrested. And the painter, Blackborn and Shakebag, both managed to flee and were never heard of again. So those are the two that escaped this punishment. At the trial, um, the conspirators were tried for petty treason. So as mentioned before, it wasn't really first degree murder because it was so horrendous that you could kill your husband or an employer. Um, Alice then also, what during the trial, dragged in Bradshaw, the guy who had recommended Black Will and carried a note. And he was tried with exactly the same severity as the others. And all of them were sentenced for death. Every single person. Michael, the maid, every single one. So, Michael, he was hanged at Faversham, and it's specifies that they were hanged in chains. Uh, that's so that normally you'd hang a person and then once they were properly dead, take them down. Yeah. But if someone's hanged in chains, that would mean that you were hanging them and you're going to leave them up there for as long as possible. So basically, they'd starve to death. Uh, basically, that your body would be rotten and it would fall out. So they uh. chain you up so that you would hang there rotting so everyone can see you. Uh. Just forever. It's like head on a spike type. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, because Michael killed his employer, he was a traitor. That was his fate. Mosby and his sister, they were both hanged at Smithfield in London. I feel kind of bad for the sister. Yeah, she, she definitely dragged jumped, in. Yeah, she got jumped in at the end and then kind of... I bet they sh- I bet they pulled her in as well because they couldn't make it happen. They were on attempt number seven. Mm. I think they were just like, somebody else get in on this. <laughs> yeah. So Alice Arden, she was burned at the stake Fuck. in Canterbury. Um, Alice's maid, she was burned at the stake also, but in Faversham. Um, John Green, he was able to evade arrest for some time said that he was helped to escape and flee by a man called Bate, his friend, and he had been arrested for helping him escape. Then they were like, well, look, we need to catch everyone involved in this. So they released Bate on the agreement that he was going to go and find Green and bring him back. And if he didn't do it, he would have to turn himself back in. What? Who's going to do that? You'd just be <laughs> yeah. like, I'm still looking, I'm still looking. Like, just yeah. run away. Yeah. But Bate did bring him back. <laughs> he saw, saw that him and some other complices um, caught him and brought him back because there's records that he was paid 20 marks for bringing back Green. So then Green was also hanged in chains on a highway near Faversham. Black Will, he fled to Zealand, which I really stupidly had no idea where it was. So what not new zealand old zealand where's that i never really uh, thought of that i didn't either i just assumed what, where's new new york old york is old yeah we know where old york is but well it's because it's not in england old zealand is still zealand as well there's still a place where's that it's in the netherlands oh no way so will went off to zealand and then he was followed there by some servants of thomas cheney um, Arden's patron because they wanted everyone to be caught and they found him and they were trying to get him extradited to England but the Dutch were like no we're going to do this our way oh, so fuck. they burned him on a scaffold 
is how it was recorded. That's pretty grim. Yeah. I don't know if I'd rather be hanged or burned. I so it was hanged. Like, hanged in chains was the normal hanging plus some chains. Yeah, so that your body would be left to rot up there. So, I, yeah, that's definitely much better. Because it would just break your neck, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was one last person that we haven't mentioned, a guy called Adam Fool. And he was the person who took the silver dice that Alice had made as a gift. She took, he took them from Alice to Thomas Mosby before they started dating again. Well, he, surely he should be free and fine. He was arrested and what? sent to Marshalsea Prison because during the trial, Mosby basically said, none of this would have happened if it hadn't have been for those dice. Oh, fuck off. And so Adam Fool was sent to prison then. That is ridiculous. What about the person who introduced Alice and her husband? What about all the fucking things that happened before that? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Basically, just because he was just so powerful and had so many people close to the king they were just like this cannot be born and that's so every harsh. poor fucker that ever was in contact with them was caught anyway. for it um so that's the end of that you one. see how that would make a good comic strip though that <laughs> wouldn't make a fact it was I, fucking long i remember putting it on the wall and it was about seven a three sheets with like little geez. photos on it took forever as long as i'm coloring in i'm doing okay <laughs> i was like this is how i get my degree just bump it up with something that looks like it took ages but was really not academic <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um okay can you please if you enjoyed that tell a friend about the podcast i think that's the best thing you can do yeah for definitely not your money not i mean we'll take you, your money but that'd be nice but just recommend the podcast um the more people that listen to it, the more interested we're going to be in doing it. Yeah, to be fair, that's true. <laughs> so tell some of your friends, um, tweet about it, or uh, t- tell like go out for drinks with some friends and just mention it, or you know that kind of stuff. Or if you were a lovely patron and you got sent some stickers, like go and stick them around, and put them on your face. Yeah, and then show people. Um, so yeah you can go on to Patreon which is patreon.com forward slash Lord of the Pod thank you so much to those of you yeah. that are giving us money every month that is so really appreciate amazing. it um, or you can leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts I think iTunes is over now like, just do it anywhere yeah I don't think anyone's bothered about that I mean I'm sure it would help but uh, yeah you can send us tiny messages on Twitter at Slaughter the Pod cast or you can email us, slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com. And you can join our Facebook group. Yeah. There's some lovely people in there. Tell them all your deepest, darkest secrets and they'll, they've got a gift for that. Yeah, they're good. They're good with secrets. Um, and remember that listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Um, calling yourself shake bag is probably an indicator. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.